90.3 FM, Washington, D.C. Please call 1-800-735-0230 to pledge your support for this endangered American treasure or go online at supportpra.org. Your donation today helps us more than ever do our work preserving, digitizing, and caring for this historic collection going back to 1949. and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll look into a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with the growing use of mail-in or absentee ballots in elections across the country and how, in spite of late-into-the-night election media coverage, which feeds the need for instant gratification, the volume coming in before and after Election Day tends to slow down the official results which don't come in until every vote is counted and the results certified. Amber McReynolds, the Executive Director of the National Vote at Home Institute and Coalition, who was previously the Director of Elections in Denver, Colorado, joins us to discuss President Trump's sinister claim about the Florida recount that, quote, an honest vote count is no longer possible, ballots massively infected, must go with election night. We will analyze Trump's absurd and illegal notion of going with the preliminary election night count since ballots are still coming into Florida from U.S. military personnel and citizens abroad, along with provisional ballots, which were an outcome of the Help America Vote Act following the 2000 Florida election debacle. Then we'll examine the apparent strategy on the part of President Trump and Governor Scott to demonize the routine count of election results in Florida to rile up their supporters who are demonstrating at the election headquarters in Broward County, intimidating the staff who are counting the outstanding ballots and conducting the legally mandated recount underway of the U.S. Senate race with a razor-thin margin of votes, which could end up either way. Stephen Huffner, a professor of law and judicial administration and senior fellow of election law at the Moritz College of Law at Ohio State University and co-author of From Registration to Recounts, the Election Ecosystems of Five Midwestern States, joins us. We will assess whether Trump is undermining the legitimacy of a possible win for the Democrat should the recount hand Senator Nelson a narrow victory. Then finally, we will speak with Mark Feldstein, a professor and chair of broadcast journalism at the University of Maryland, who for two decades was an award-winning investigative correspondent for CNN, ABC News, and NBC, about CNN suing President Trump and top White House aides for barring their White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. We will discuss how the White House press secretary used a doctored videotape to justify taking away Acosta's hard pass, but now Sarah Sanders is claiming that Acosta is banned because he is rude to her boss, who is hardly known for his gentility and politeness. And joining us now is Amber McReynolds, who is the Executive Director of the National Vote at Home Initiative and Coalition, who was previously the Director of Elections in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Background Briefing, Amber McReynolds. It's great to be here. Well, thank you, Amber. And tell us a little about your organization. Yeah, so the National Vote at Home Institute has been formed um, recently, actually in, in 2018, and our goal is to help states and local jurisdictions and uh, really anyone across the country implement uh, vote at home type systems, and systems that we consider to be vote at home are similar to Colorado, Washington, Oregon. Um, a few counties in California have now rolled out vote at home systems, and we're seeing growth in Utah, North Dakota, Montana, Arizona, and then various other states across the country are seeing more voters choose to use vote by mail as well. So that's essentially what you're talking about, mail-in ballots. Yeah, and we and the reason we call it vote at home is because it's it's essentially a automatic ballot delivery system. So. That just means that election officials automatically mail a ballot out to every voter, just like we do in Colorado. And uh, voters have the choice at home on, you know, how long they want to spend researching issues, voting their ballot, spending time figuring out what they want to do. And then they have a multitude of options to return the ballot. So many voters, uh, for instance, in Colorado, we saw about 80 percent of voters in Denver when I was there, 
uh, return their ballot in person instead of mailing it back. So they can mail it, they can drop it off in person, they can do a drive-through drop-off, 24-hour box, so there's a lot of options for voters. Well, clearly mail-in ballots are increasing exponentially across the country, are they not? You mentioned many of the states that have adopted the vote-at-home process. So how is this playing in terms of the instant gratification that most people want? And, you know, the networks and the cable news networks in particular devote a lot of resources to election night and people sort of anxiously sit around watching television late into the morning waiting for results. So is there any way for this new process that's obviously going to grow with more and more mail-in ballots to catch up to the election night results or are we going to be having more and more of these contested election nights or weeks that following, which is what we have now, particularly in Florida and in Georgia? Well, so um, I guess if we go back 18 years, we had the same situation in Florida that we have today, even with more mail ballots today. So, um, So I think, first off, election results, are never final on the night of and even with you know polling place elections and very low mail ballots counting ballots especially paper ballots all of that process that takes time and the most important thing about that process is that you want it to be accurate more than anything and so you know I I know the national networks want to call races and, and all of that but you know we have seen over and over where the election continues far past election day. In fact, most jurisdictions won't certify their elections until the end of November. Um, And that is actually when there is a final result that is certified. The results are final. The precinct results get posted, all of that. And, you know, with the election process, even though election day is essentially the last day that everyone votes, there's a period of time before that that happens, depending on state laws. Um, You know, some states won't allow uh, local offices to start counting absentee ballots until election day. Um, whereas like in Colorado, we can start, you know, two weeks prior. So, uh, not release any results, but just scan and process the ballots. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, patience is important, but accuracy is, is the most important factor in, in, in election offices getting this right. And that's why, you know, this process post-election, including the audit process, because, the other thing that happens after all the results are actually done is we actually audit the results in most states. And we want to make sure that that, you know, and that determines that all the equipment acted as it should have and did what it was supposed to do throughout the election. So what then do you make of President's tweet on Monday? He tweeted out, i just quote some of the tweet, that the Florida election should be called in, essentially called in the favor of Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis and that large numbers of new ballots showed up out of nowhere, and many ballots are missing or forged. And then he went on to misstate very inaccurately that Florida officials have concluded, quote, an honest vote count is no longer possible. Ballots massively infected must go with election night. So the president is basically saying everything that you've just told us is the case, He's he's making the opposite case, is he not? Yeah, and uh, so a few things on that. First off, that the tweet and sort of what was in that tweet is in violation of Florida's election laws. Um, secondly, um, you know, a, a large group of ballots that were coming into Florida up until I believe the 16th of November are military ballots. So, you know. I, I immediately, when I see or hear something like that, I go to the the fact that basically the suggestion is that military votes shouldn't be counted, um, which is which is you know completely unfortunate, especially given often the logistical challenges that they face in returning their ballots. Um, but the biggest thing is, look, we want every eligible voter that cast a vote that ballot should be counted. It should be counted accurately and it should be counted under the procedures that exist in each state's laws. And that is what voters expect. That's what election officials across the country, and there are many fantastic election officials across Florida. I know most of them. 
um, and they're all trying to work very hard right now to get it right and do what they're supposed to do as this process continues because even though everyone else sees a result on election night, election officials go all the way up through and past Thanksgiving, um, closing out the books, auditing the election, and making sure it's done right. And again, I'm speaking with Amber McReynolds, the executive director of the National Vote at Home Institute and Coalition, who was previously the director of elections in Denver, Colorado. But you surely have to add to the mix now with the mail-in ballots. You have to add the provisional ballots that came about as a result of the Help America Vote Act, which followed the 2000 debacle in Florida. And aren't they, by definition, they they have to be counted after the election, right? Because provisional ballots are issued to people who show up to vote and can't vote because there's some, you know, sense that they maybe their signatures don't match or there's various impediments, uh, particularly, for example, in not so much in Florida, but certainly in Georgia that exist in terms of the way elections are conducted in those states. So by definition, it would seem the provisional ballots would be by necessity counted after the election. That's correct. And and every state varies in terms of what that process looks like post-election. But provisional ballots, and, and actually this happens in most jurisdictions, you can't look or start looking at provisionals until you have everything else completed. So that includes mail ballots, that includes all election day ballots, that includes early ballots. Um, so you have to have all that process done, and then you can look at the provisionals. Now, Colorado, because we updated our, our voter registration laws and also our voting procedures and went to this ballot delivery system five years ago, we've actually reduced the number of provisional ballots that are cast in our state by about 98%. So Colorado doesn't have that many to look at post-election because we've made appropriate adjustments in our laws to um, basically reduce the need for provisional ballots. Uh, that's not the case in, in a lot of states. There are you know, hundreds of thousands of provisional ballots that are cast, and that was put in the law to protect people and make sure that they could cast a ballot if eligibility couldn't be determined right on the spot when they were trying to vote on Election Day. So absolutely, that happens after the election. Um, it varies by state in terms of how many get counted, but certainly anyone who is eligible and it's a valid ballot should be counted, and that certainly is happening in the post-election process that exists across the country. So can I make the case that the work that you've done in Colorado is really about trying to increase access to the ballot? Because much of the debate in this country is about voter suppression or the extent to which there are laws in places like, well, let's go back to uh, the Voting Rights Act in 1965. It was a few years back the Supreme Court ruled against Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, they made it null and void, and that required preclearance of any changes to ballots and election procedures and systems in states with a, with a history of voter suppression. Though that, that no longer exists as a check and balance. So looking at the country broadly, how would you characterize what you've done in Florida and compare it to, say, what's going on in Georgia? So, well, first off, I, I started in elections 13 years ago. I was in uh, administered elections in Denver for the past 13 years and was director of elections for the past seven. And when I started in the office, um, the, the first thing that I noted uh, coming into the industry, I was 26 years old, and it was um, all about what had been done for 20 years. And what I saw immediately is that we weren't doing a very good job of serving our customers, which are the voters. And the process was confusing, it was difficult, it was um, constraining to voters, there weren't many options. And so what I set out to do was, you know, update and, and change procedures as I could and then advocate with the legislature for changes that would benefit all voters. And what we tried to do in Colorado, and we did this through a coalition, there were many partners involved in in what we were able to accomplish five years ago. but. The whole premise was designing a system that's pro-voter and voter-centric and is agnostic, frankly, to party affiliation. Party affiliation and partisan politics and all of that has no place in the, in the administration of the election process. It needs to be free from that. And so our whole system in Colorado, we designed it to be pro-voter, 
voter-centric, and we kind of worked back from there and then put all the processes in place to make that happen. Colorado has the second highest turnout in the country today um, before everything is final, but it is it is the second highest right now in terms of the voting-eligible population. It's considered the safest state to vote in. It's the most convenient state to vote in, and we have the highest voter registration rate in the country. And that is not by coincidence. That's because we put the, the reforms in place that, that benefit all voters. And, you know, the one thing, uh, you know, a lot of people will make the mistake of thinking that it's a progressive reform or it's something that happened in a democratic state. And, you know, we've actually had a split legislature up till this year. We have a Republican secretary of state up till this year. Um, so it's kind of been a, it's been a bipartisan um, effort to, to benefit voters and, you know, back in 2016 and 2014, when we first implemented our law, um, we actually saw an equal number of Republicans and Democrats benefit from same-day registration, um, some of the registration modernizations that we had done, and we also saw a mix of people winning in that election. Um, so that's why I, why I say it's a model, because we need to make sure elections are free from partisan politics. And the outcome of the election is one thing, but the administration of the election needs to respect voters and be pro-voter and voter-centric so that people can participate and not wait in line for four or five hours um, in the rain to vote. Well, most elections in in other democracies are non... The, the people who supervise them are non-partisan, and we are un, unusual and unique in as much as... Uh, the states control the elections and the different systems in every state and, and, and indeed in many counties and that they are quite often administered by partisan officials who may or may not exercise their partisanship. There were great concerns about the Secretary of State in Kansas running for governor because of his past activity in terms of what many people see as a election suppression and then, of course, of course, in Georgia as well, the Secretary of State Kemp running for governor is also administering the same elections that he is a candidate in. That in itself is pretty unique. So how did you do what you've done, which is very impressive, and how much is the rest of the country paying attention to what you've done? Yeah, well, um, you know, Denver, uh, the city and county of Denver is where I was the director of elections. I was appointed. Um, under a, an, an elected clerk, and that elected clerk is the only clerk in the state of Colorado that's actually in a nonpartisan office, meaning that it doesn't go through the partisan process and run for election in the even year. It runs in an odd year as a municipal office. Um, so, you know, we we ran, you know, we were able to run things differently. We didn't have a tie to one party or another, and our whole thing. And, and my whole thing when I was director of elections for two different clerks um, was transparency and, you know, putting information out there, bringing people in from both sides of the aisle and also from various groups to say, here's what we're doing. Uh, we did media tours. We did we posted our ballot processing on Facebook Live and on online cameras so people could see it. Um, so I think that kind of transparency is really what, gives people trust in the process, um, and that's important for election officials, and there's many election officials across the country that do that. Um, in terms of the Secretary of States that run for higher office, you know, I, I think that perhaps that should be looked at. If you are going to try for another another office and still be Secretary of State, that might be a problem. Many of them run for re-election, um, and it's just fine. We just had our Secretary of State run for re-election, and you know, I didn't see any issues in Colorado as it related to that. But, you know, I think that secretaries that go for a higher office or something else that's different, um, that, you know, maybe there should be more limits and more restrictions on their ability to, to stay in their roles while they while they uh, try to try for something else. Well, Amber McReynolds, I thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate the conversation and uh, learned a lot. So I'm very grateful. Yes, thanks for having me. And again, I've been speaking with Amber McReynolds, who's the executive director of the National Vote at Home Institute and Coalition, who was previously the director of elections in Denver, Colorado. And hello again, I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, and the rest of the program will be available soon at backgroundbriefing.org. And 
I'm joined in the studio by Mark Torres, the head of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and today is a national broadcast in support of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and I, for one, uh, am a big fan of what you guys do because you are the only people in Pacifica that bring money in hey. and uh, as opposed to ask for money. Uh, so, you know, you've got enormous treasure upstairs in this building, uh, and uh, let's see what the latest treasures are that we can offer up here today. Okay, well, first of all, Ian, thank you for being part of our national broadcast. Your local broadcast here in Los Angeles um, is now national. You are being broadcast on all five Pacifica stations today. We'd like to welcome all of the listeners from all five stations. Ian Masters has a wonderful show here, Background Briefing, that he's been doing for many years. And as I was listening to this story, I couldn't help but think of some of the recordings in the Pacifica Radio Archives. When I hear the recordings of Fannie Lou Hamer from 62, 63, 64, 65, getting beat within an inch of her life, mm -hmm. fighting for the right to vote, and then the Voter Right Act gets approved in 1965, and then the Scalia-Roberts court guts a key provision that allows uh, states to uh, adjust voter laws without approval from uh, the, yeah, the, the, the the Attorney General. The Justice Department has oversight, yeah. and they have to submit under Section Same. 5 of the Voting Rights Act. They have to submit any changes. That's right. And with that removed by John Roberts, who wrote the majority opinion, Essentially, uh, all of these uh, Jim Crow states are came able running, flowing right back and, to. And you can see it's happening in Georgia as we speak. So. And and this is just unbelievable that fifty five years after Fannie Lou Hamer first emerged with you know thousands of others and and people gave their lives for the right to right. register to vote like um, Schwerner, well, they, they were Cheney, lynched and for even even talking about voting exactly and, and trying to educate people about voting so the price in blood uh, that's been paid particularly by african americans in this country in order to get the vote is just one of the great uh, national shames uh, of this country and its history and the idea that young people today and in, in if minority kids don't vote, then that's really shameful. And millennials don't vote, although they did in better numbers. So did Latinos in this last election, uh, and it did make a it made made a difference. You can tell, you know, what almost up to forty new seats that the Democrats have picked up in the House. So that's uh, wonderful, the and Senate, they may pick up a few Senate seats remaining. Well, that's what we were talking about today on yeah. the program. Um, which, of course, is available at backgroundbriefing.org. It doesn't play on most of the Pacifica stations. Well, it is today. Yes. And, and today we have a goal, Ian, of having 20 people call in and donating $250, just like James Dotson did and uh, Akiva Jacobs did. For $250, we've been busy, Ian, this last year, and we digitized... Uh, 1,300 new programs into the collection. And so today we are offering all three volumes of 64-gig USB drives that each contain over 1,000 hours, 3,600 hours in total. It's like going to the Library of Congress and being able to stick a hard drive in and mm -hmm. download <laughs> So you have all of, all of this extraordinary... And unique history on a thumb drive? Is that That's what you're correct. And, and what is the number that people call? Because we should be <laughs> already given that one out. You're right. It's 1-800-735-0230. We need 20 people to call um, uh, during this hour for us to meet our goal for the hour. And we're very close. We're on schedule to meet our goal for the drive. We had a goal of $80,000 in less than a day. We end at 9 p.m. here on the West Coast, 12 midnight on the East Coast, and right now we're pushing close to $60,000. So we're getting very close and we can't stop. Uh, we need to push through and break through that goal. 1-800-735-0230. For your $250 pledge, 
we are going to give you this three volumes of Voices That Change the World, over 3,600 hours of audio, which we call the Encyclopedia of Sound. There's other ways to donate as well. You can go to our secure online website at supportpra.org, or you can do our mobile cause text to donate. They do text to donate for some of the biggest uh, nonprofits in the nation. All you do is type in 41444, and then you type in the word archives, A-R-C-H-I-V-E-S. And you can make your $250 pledge from your smartphone and be on your way. And you can make people smart. I mean, <laughs> make America think again. That, That's very that, true. Or, yes, make America sane again might even be a, another version of MAGA. So obviously people are tapped out, the, the elections, you know, people were being solicited right, left, and center uh, by politicians. And here in California, we have fires. People are helping out. But um, in terms of sort of triage where, where your money's concerned, this is an extraordinary amount of value for money. And, and one of the things that I always find appealing about the archives and, the, and raising funds for them is that much of what you do can be can be gifts to other people. In other words, people can get this information and pass it on, particularly to people who can make really good use of it, like uh, teachers, and educators, students. and students. And uh, so, I'd encourage people to call one eight hundred seven three five zero two three zero to get hold of this extraordinary compendium of history. The the uh, encyclopedia of sound in just three small uh, thumb drives, uh, you get all of this uh, extraordinary 3,600 hours of audio, and um, that will <laughs> 3,600 it, it, hours. It'll keep you occupied it, it for will. quite a while. That's uh, I can't do the math, but that's a probably what a several weeks of. Uh, Round-the-clock listening. You, you could, would do for be, several months. A long, <laughs> long road trip. That would be across America and back. So um, now, one, I was about to give our sure. number here. 800. 1-800-735-0230. Now, what's uh, also compelling about this collection is there are an enormous number of young people who will be eligible to vote for the next presidential election. Can you imagine uh, how armed they will be with context for voting if they start listening to what Fannie Lou Hamer did to organize to vote? Um, what Schwerner, Goodwin, and Cheney, the live, it cost them their lives to reg register to vote. Young people don't necessarily know this history, what went into gaining the right to vote. Women, it took forever for women to gain the vote, and the suffragette movement is covered in this Pacific Radio Archives collection. So mm. I think that uh, arming our youth with knowledge and uh, so that when these campaign slogans are so casually offered on some of the mainstream news media or by people on social media or their family and friends, they will know how to respond to it. Well, you basically have one party, the Republicans, who don't want anybody to vote but their loyalists. And you have the other party, the Democrats, who more often than not fail to inspire their people to vote. This time around, they did. But they, the difference is that the Democrats want more people to vote and the Republicans want fewer people to vote. So when you talk about the Voting Rights Act and the history and the sacrifices that people made uh, in order to get the vote and and the lynchings and, and the murder of the, of the civil rights workers, et cetera, and, and the struggles that the suffragettes had. What's particularly important and, and alarming today is that much of these this progress is being rolled back, that there's been an increase, there's been a strategy of voter suppression. Yes. That's what Trump and, and, and Scott are doing down in Florida now. They're talking, uh, they're trying to lay the groundwork for if if uh, this this vote recount does go uh, Senator Nelson's way and it's raised a thin margin, then they're laying the groundwork to delegitimize him. And it's also what Trump will do in 2020 
You know, he yes. did. He did it. He in, tried. He, in he was sixteen. He so. was thinking he was going to have to do it in twenty sixteen. Of course, and that was his, he was his, ready, his, and it shocked him. No, that he, he didn't he, have to. That was his marching orders from Putin. Putin basically didn't think he would win, but he thought if he lost, he'd go around the country, saying "lock her up, lock her up" at rallies and make life miserable for Hillary Clinton and diminish her ability to govern, which is what he did earlier or tried to do with Obama by hoisting this idea that Obama wasn't an American citizen, was some kind of interloper from Kenya. So that's that's the cynical strategy of this man. He is a total tool of a foreign power and not just a criminal but a traitor. And so we have a lot of work to do in this country to stop this man from rolling back the clock. And people have to be armed with information and knowledge and if you call uh, this number, 1-800-735-0230, you get 3,600 hours of knowledge from the Encyclopedia of Sound. Wow. Uh, it's just, um, when I hear you put it, it sounds it sounds much better. <laughs> uh, please uh, get to the phones. We need 20 people to call. We've had four people on the line, so we need 16 people left to call for us to make our goal, stay on goal for the hour, stay on goal for the day. We have a, a total um, thermometer of $80,000. We're just crossing $60,000 now. So please get to the phones. Help us make our 5000 goal for the hour. We need 16 more people to call right now, 1-800-735-0230. It's toll-free no matter where you're listening in any of the five Pacifica listening areas. And take away the gift of knowledge. They make great holiday gifts. It's it's a gift that a lot of gifts people just feel obligated to to get. They buy just utter trash that gets thrown away. This is something that you will treasure for years to come. And when you're done with it, you can pass it on to the next person who can learn and enjoy it right. as well. So it's not like a record. The more you play it, <laughs> exactly. the, the worse the audio. Exactly. These little thumb drives last forever. And, and, uh, you, and you can just put them on your hard drives. You can back them up. You can put them on servers. It's something that truly, with technology, you're at an advantage with all of this right. material. Right. Really, it's like well, know, again, it's a it's a, it's really a gift to uh, teachers because uh, they have their entire lesson plan <laughs> on almost every subject under the sun. They're in those three thousand six hundred hours of audio. So uh, I would encourage people to call one eight hundred seven three five zero two three zero. Okay, well, it looks like Thomas McDonald uh, donated two hundred fifty dollars and took away the Encyclopedia of Sound. Uh, join. Yeah. Thomas and James Dotson and Akiva Jacobs, who donated $250 earlier today, and um, and take away this great gift and help the Pacifica Radio Archives. This is what will allow us to continue our work during, during this next year. Right. And a big part of your work is to preserve the the archives, much of which is still old audio tape. That's correct. Uh, which decomposes over the decades. It's so a race with time right now. Yes. You have to d- digitize all of this extraordinary audio. So, again, here in this building here in North Hollywood, California, upstairs is the Pacifica Radio Archives. It is the part of Pacifica that keeps on giving, keeps on earning us money. Uh, and uh, you've, uh, Mark Torres has dived into the treasure trove, into the, into the, uh, the vaults here and come up with this encyclopedia of sound, which is 3,600 hours of audio, of Voices That Change the Worlds, volume one to three. It's a compilation of historical recordings, extraordinary uh, range of people from Dr. Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Alan Watts, Bob Dylan, George Carlin, Lorraine Hansberry, Langston Hughes, Howard Zinn, Edward Said, Amandati Roy, Fannie Lou Hamer, Maya Angelou, Cesar Chavez, Dol- Dolores Huerta, and many, many more. And again, the number to call is 1-800-735-0230. We need to get more people on the line here across the country uh, by calling 1-800-735-0230 to meet uh, the quota. And uh, it's a $250 donation. That's correct. And uh, we obviously we want to keep... Uh, well, we, we need to get, to raise the, this threshold in order to get 
Are we the last of the programs? How many more programs? I don't know. We've got a few more. We've got a few more. Uh, there's going to be the 6 o'clock news. Right. And well, then, that's 9 p.m. back east. And, yeah, and then we're going to go uh, for two more hours until 9 p.m., right. 12 midnight on the east coast. Right, but we, we've got to, we normally make the most money per hour, so we've got to really— This is a big responsibility. Right. Yes. If so we, you've got to kick it up a notch, as, uh, as Emerald would say. That's correct. Now, if there's somebody that wants to donate a $1,000 or $5,000, we had two $5,000 donations earlier today, and they were used as matching funds mm -hmm. to challenge the listeners. They said, well, we're not really going to give you 5000 unless you can raise 5000 in that hour, and then we will give it to you. Mm -hmm. So that, that was successful twice today. So if you'd like to donate $1,000 or more, we will use it as a matching fund for the rest of this hour. Um, so there are many people with the means here in Hollywood where that doesn't mean that much. All you need to do is give us a ring, 800-735-0230, and talk to one of our phone answers. If there's somebody uh, who would like to donate $1,000 or more, an angel, uh, they will come over and let us know, and we will challenge the rest of our listeners. Now, Ian, so we're you... calling all angels. We and, are. And we're obviously in an era when uh, the better angels uh, have to emerge because we have the uh, it's not even the prince of darkness. He's, <laughs> he's, he's the joker of darkness uh, that is uh, really running this country on the path towards fascism. It's so obvious, and particularly his attacks on the press, which should be clear, and uh, his attacks on the institutions of law enforcement, the FBI, the Justice Department, and, of course, the uh, integrity of our elections, which is saying something, since we have the worst uh, election systems in the world. Um, but we did hear from uh, this wonderful lady from uh, Colorado who was the head of uh, the elections in Denver, and she has formed an organization that is dedicated to making it easy for people to vote and for people to vote at home, and that is growing. So there are ways, you know, I don't want to be in a position to reinforce despair. Not enough people vote. We have to make people uh, recognize uh, that this is a positive uh, uh, act, a necessary act, uh, and one that we have to encourage. And I'm grateful to uh, our first guest here on the program today, Amber McReynolds, for the work that she's done. And so it, sh it shows us that there is a way to get out from under this uh, revival of Jim Crow and voter suppression, which is unfortunately the policy of the Republican Party. Wow. It's, it, was, uh, it was something to watch uh, in Texas. It was something to watch in Georgia and in Florida. Um, we thought we were done with that in the 2000 election uh, when uh, Al Gore agreed to the, the ceasing of the counting back well, then. Well, it was worse than that because he conceded. Remember, he was watching Fox News and they arbitrarily declared him the winner. And yes. then he got on the phone and conceded to George W. Bush, in spite of the fact that the Democratic Attorney General of Florida was saying, for God's sake, don't concede, because the law indicates that if the margin is uh, half of 1%, there's an automatic recount, which is exactly what's happening now in Florida. Yeah, uh, These automatic recounts, which are triggered by law, if the difference between the two candidates is less than a half of 1%. And that was, of course, the fatal flaw in, in Florida, because they were able to say, you know, the, the Republicans came up with this canard of the sore loser man. Oh. Remember that? So that My was, goodness. Oh, and remember that, uh, don't forget. Alan Minsky, program director, KPFK, right. joins us. We're, we're re re rehashing. No, and history. don't forget there was a butterfly ballot, right, in Palm Beach County, which yeah. which means, you know, so many thousands of people clearly were trying to vote for Al Gore. You know, this they time. Voted, they ended up time, voting for, uh, in, for uh, what's his in, name? In Broward County, when you've got the, Bush. when each county has their own um, election um, ballot, and in Broward County, in order to vote, you know, to push the little pin in and vote, the whole left side of the page was the directions, and underneath the directions was Scott versus Nelson, and on right. the upper right yeah, hand was, was the governor's. Yeah, yeah. so a lot yeah, of people but, but didn't vote in Broward, and if you look at the split in Broward, it would have been enough to deliver the well, Democrats. Well, of course, but, that, but the, the, the analogy there or the comparison there is that back with the butterfly ballot, that was 
that was done by the Democratic election supervisor. Same Democratic election supervisor and, in Brown. And, and under Brown. the law, the Democratic Party and, and all parties involved get to approve the ballots. So you have these brain-dead Democrats down there that they've come back again, the same election supervisor as Democrat in Broward, and they approved this ballot. Mm-hmm. So they only That's they really shot themselves in the foot for a second time. And, you know, instead of Pat Buchanan getting the votes this time, uh, it was an undervote. Right, and it's dreadful for progressives as uh, uh, cinema is been in Arizona as a congressperson. She used to be more progressive when she was younger. It's still important to pick up the seat because I mean, we can see right now with Kavanaugh getting approved and the federal judges, the the, the, the hill will be steeper if, well, if Nelson doesn't hold on to the seat in Florida. It's down to 53-47. If it's 52-48, very good chance the Democrats take it back in 2020. 53-47, bigger mm-hmm. lift, but it's better than when it looked like 45-55. Well, they have, I mean... The the structure is against the Democrats. By the year 2040, 70 seats will be in the Senate will be controlled by senators from red states, whereas 30 seats will be controlled by Democrats. So what you have is the populations increasing in the blue states, uh, but it, their vote is diluted. Whereas in the red states, no. the the in these thinly populated red states. Uh, because of the Electoral College, they will be running the Senate in perpetuity, the Republicans, and therefore, by extension, controlling the judiciary. Now, if Trump gets more than, uh, votes on the Senate, and, and let's hope he doesn't, he will be able to put through more and more of these horrible judges uh, that he's pushing through. Well, so there, there's an awful lot of challenges, but let's not get uh, Yeah, but I do have a little bit of news for people, here. and this is relevant nationally, but out here in Southern California, Katie Porter down in the, 50, the 45th District just moved ahead of Mimi Walters in the vote in just the last tranche of votes, and she's 431 votes ahead. Well, that's good news because mm. she ran an appallingly bad campaign, mm. the worst commercials I've ever seen, and she tacked to the right by embracing the ridiculous Republican uh, idea of, a, of repealing the gas tax, um, which, uh, you know, when Democrats try to uh, become like Republicans in order to win swing disaster. votes, I think it's a disaster because people recognize that you've got to stick by your principles and they respect people like Bernie Sanders and others who stick by their principles. Anyway, we are having a political discussion instead of <laughs> promoting the right. greatness of the archives. Okay, so. we have we have 20 minutes to go, and we need 15 people to call 1-800-735-0230. This is a national broadcast for the Pacifica Radio Archives. We have an undisputed, incredible collection going back to 1949, 60,000 recordings and we are asking you to donate $250 in exchange. We are going to give you this three-volume Encyclopedia of Sound, three volumes of voices that changed the world over 3,600 hours. $250 donation, and we give you this incredible collection that you will be listening to for months and months and probably years. It's a great gift in this Hollywood uh, holiday season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You can also donate it to a school classroom, whether it's a grammar school, high school, university, a public library. There's so many great uses for this type of original source <coughs> material with the type of voices we have in the archives. Please get to the phones. There's one more person. We only need 14 more people calling. And can I have the list of all this incredible new material on Volume 3? Because it is absolutely incredible. It is um, it is almost beyond uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2. So if you don't have Volume 3, I think it is an absolute you delight might have to pick grabbed up. It. Well, I don't think I did, but... Uh, uh, Last it is, round. It is an incredible collection. And therefore, call in because it is worth the $250 by itself, folks. And if you have Volumes 1 and Volumes 2 previously, maybe from a previous archives fundraiser, what holiday gifts they will make. If you don't have all three, then you've got to call in right now and call 800-735-0230, 800-735-0230. I would love to be able to just read down the list of things that are included in this brand new Volume 3 and hear Ian Masters' reflections on it. So we're going to go get that list. And again, the number is 800-735-0230, 3600 hours of audio, 800-735-0230. It is one, two, and three volumes of Voices That Changed the World, and it is the best of the Pacifica Radio Archives. And of course, there's been such an incredible amount of great programming um, on this radio network over the years uh, that this is just a true treasure trove, an unbelievable 
uh, just collection of the history of the past now 69 years in the United States of America. We have Herbert Marcuse and Angela Davis together. Ian, what do you think about that? 1969, (laughs) Marcuse, who was at the University of California, San Diego, came Mm -hmm. out of the Frankfurt School, uh, wrote One Dimensional Man, very influential in the 60s radicalism across the world with uh, Angela Davis. The same can be said from her. Also, background in the Frankfurt School thought. Uh, Of course, she was... uh, an incredibly powerful spokesperson was a professor right. here at well, UCLA. Well, they were subversive, both of them. Mm-hmm. considered subversives in that era in the 60s and 70s. But the younger generation today, the millennials, are rediscovering uh, all of these uh, great figures uh, who really had were ostracized in their day and, and, and persecuted in their day. But now you have uh, a real sense of... Uh, of awakening amongst the young that uh, the system doesn't work for them. You've got kids today who, before they even get a job, if they can get a job, are deeply in debt because of student debt. So there's all kinds of reasons why young people today are turning to the idea of socialism, the dirty S word, forbidden <laughs> word yeah. that now is becoming perfectly uh, okay. acceptable. 800-735-0230. Uh, we have three people on the line. We need 12 more people to call for us to reach our goal. We have several uh, phones open right now. If they were busy earlier, now is the time to call one eight hundred seven three five zero two three zero. Recordings from the San Francisco Film Festival from the nineteen seventies include Br- B- Bernardo Bertolucci, Jack Nicholson. I think the year one who flew over the cuckoo's nest came out. Francois Truffaut and Jacqueline Bisset, Jack Lemon, Alec Guinness. Um, and then I'm going to go down and mention another Star person Wars. and tell Mark a little bit about what you know about this person. Again, these are just people who were included in this incredible collection. Uh, this is the volume three. Jermaine Greer is in dialogue oh, yeah. with somebody oh, from 1992 uh, yeah. and uh, your would, old friend. Yes. We're roommates in uh, <laughs> what? Sydney, Sydney University. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Um, no, he's got – he worked on a, a film with Mick Jagger. I've known in Aust- Ian Australia, for a while right? now. That's a, that's a new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Jermaine Greer, I've, I met her um, back in the day. Imagine him debating yeah. in his, his like – College, you know, era dorm with. Jermaine How'd you hold Greer. up over there? Yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a, a little terraced house in the, in a suburb called Glebe next to Sydney University. And she's a Shakespearean scholar. Yeah, right. well, uh, she, yeah, she's a, yeah, she's actually quite controversial now amongst sure. feminists. Sure, yes, uh, that is true. Um, but, um, any rate. Yes, and just tons what and tons. Do I know? Yes. I'm, I'm, uh, These are the people. We have this whole the SLA communique. This was something that was dropped into the garbage can out here at KPFK Radio, yeah. one of the most famous moments in the history of Pacifica Radio, where Tanya's recording uh, was uh, played to the world from these studios here in KPFK. Mm-hmm. Eduardo Galliani, Ile Pape, Robert Frisk, uh, Pauline Kale, her last broadcast on KPFA. We have Isabel Allende. These are just people. I'm skipping over. There's so many documentaries about people. There's a documentary here about Paul Robeson. We have Grace Paley. Christopher Hitchens debating God with uh, Chris Hedges. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's pretty priceless. Oh, I remember that. That was at UCLA. That was really an impressive exchange. Yeah, these are some of the more recent ones. Was was Chris Hedges able to uh, hold his own against old Christopher? Well, he was was trained in in theology. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, His father was a Presbyterian minister. Well, and of course, by that time, he he could hold over Hitchens' head the fact that Hitchens was supporting the— the Bush administration. Oh, really? That, uh, that was uh, his... 2007. Well, yeah, since nine eleven. Well, yeah. it's horrible, yeah. unbelievably hard. With uh, from 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 Hitchens. He, he, um, he was used by the Bush team, but the, you know it's hard to believe that Christopher Hitchens was used by anybody. But he was. He was horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went. It was just whatever wretched well, stuff. The, you know, he, it, 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 it was a human rights issue and. There was no question that Saddam Hussein was a monster, but look what's happened since. Right. So I don't know what the morality is of pragmatism versus idealism. Um, so 800 people. We need 10 people calling. 800 I'm just – I'm on page three of 23 <laughs> and we pages. we got distracted 15 okay. times. All right. Page three of 23 pages from the brand-new collection uh, that is now volume three of Voices That Change the World. Includes a project I put together in 2011 called Building a Powerful Left in which Noam Chomsky and Cornell West and Dolores Huerta and uh, Eric Mann, as I mentioned earlier, and Noam Chomsky and a bunch of other 
other figures, a lot of people like David Harvey, Francis Fox Piven, talked about what it would take to build a powerful left in the United States of America. And uh, Jimmy Dore, the comic, is on it. But Ralph Nader, he approached it by writing an essay in advance that he read about what he felt America needed to do. And that was from 2011, before Occupy occurred. So, again, t- so much material here. It is priceless stuff, folks. We have Gil Scott Heron, Alice Walker, Carlos Castaneda, Arundhati Roy, Chalmers Johnson, Naomi Klein, 800-735-0230. Again, these are just tons of entries on each of these pages. Uh, we have um, Nelson Mandela, Bishop Desmond Tutu. Uh, we have Dylan Thomas in Memoriam. Wow, that's incredible. Interview with Edward Said. Um, again, just uh, free Did you run into Edward press. Said in your day? I used to interview him, yeah. And uh, and Chalmers Johnson, too, a mm-hmm. lot. Oh, yeah, uh, a lot, a lot. Um, he was really remarkable. Because that, I mean, you know, my beats mostly international relations, national security, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, but Chalmers Johnson, isn't he ex-CIA guy? What yeah. what kind of? Uh... Well, he was the guy who came up with blowback. I mean, he was yeah. so spot on. Uh, yeah, well, you know. I mean, uh, what th- that's the whole point of talking. You, know, you, you <laughs> I get criticized for talking to ex CIA people because yeah. they immediately say you're working for the CIA because well, here's you interview who, them, who which did... is the the stupidity of of a lot of people on the loony left. The po- point is that if you talk, to, you know, wh- who are the people with the information, the secrets? As a journalist, your job is to get information and pry secrets loose. So who do you go to? These are the people you need that to find know out. Them. <laughs> that know what the hell's going on. You know, and, and, and I, you know, there should there should be no secrets from the American people. Eight hundred seven three five zero two three zero is the number to call. We're asking for a two hundred and fifty dollar donation. Alan's just running through some of these names that are on the new jump drive, and it's phenomenal. And Ian has a story about probably every one of them. Uh, <laughs> well, so 800 We now need eight people calling. We have nine minutes to go, Alan. Um, and we have uh, Alan Ginsberg at KPFA from 1956. That's newly, amazing. Newly digitized. Just amazing stuff. Um, so uh, call in 800 And again, we have the Letters and Politics History Packs we've spoken about. We have people like, of course, Glenn Greenwald, Gabor Mate, David Graeber. Um, and uh, you have to go back and forth from the right column to the left because sometimes the guests are on the you left. Mean it's like that, the like right. the ballot in Florida. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, like that. Doctor right. Michio Kaku, Rachel Maddow is on here. Right. Uh, of course, we can see a lot of her elsewhere, and uh, it's just a phenomenal thing. We have uh, uh, Gerald Horn on W. E. B. Dubois. Uh, we have um, Peter Dreyer on Helen Keller, a local Southern California professor. Uh, George Lakos, David K. Johnson, Bill McKibben. Uh, in a show called Do the Math about Global Warming. Um, Mario Savio, uh, Van Jones, Robert Reich, Medea Benjamin. Um, again, uh, just incredible. We have uh, Richard Lickman, who's been a guest here with Susan Okay, Weissman Robert on. Reich or Richard Wolf? Who would you rather go see? I'd like to see them together. That would be nice. <laughs> How's about that for d- dodging that question? Have you interviewed both of them? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Give us a little but, uh, yeah, anecdote. Uh, well, uh, Robert Rice first. Robert Rice is, is former Secretary of Labor. He's he's the longest serving guy in the Clinton administration, uh, and he's a he's a real fighter for for the political left and for a better deal. I mean, I had this uh, Lawrence Lessig on my program yesterday. He's he's a, a professor at Harvard. He he ran for president, as a matter of fact. But he's his main issue has been getting money out of politics, uh, particularly since Citizens United. And he made an extraordinary point, which I think is something that that maybe we, we that uh, Robert Reich and and uh, the uh, who's the Marxist Richard Wolf, guy? Richard, Richard Wolf, Wolf uh, should borrow from. People in this country earning ten thousand dollars an hour have managed to convince Americans earning forty dollars an hour that the biggest problem America faces is people earning $8 an hour. <laughs> wow. And that is, uh, that is ma- amazing. the most inc- uh, succinct encapsulation of the economic uh, inequality in this country and the absurdity of uh, the Republican Trump argument about these caravans and the idea that all of these people are stealing these jobs from all of these white working men. It is just so sick and so pathetic. Well, please get to the phones now. We have five minutes to go. 
1-800-735-0230 is the number. 1-800-735-0230. Call now. We're getting updates on how we're doing this hour. And uh, we're getting close, but we need you to call now. A $250 donation will get you the entire Encyclopedia of Sound, three jump drives that have 3,600 hours of the best hand-picked, curated recordings from the Pacifica Radio Archives, and a whole new disc with uh, 1,300 hours that we just uh, digitized this last year. What update do you have from the phone room? Uh, Close, but no cigar. All right, so we need, we let's need to, go, everybody. We need to beat the drum here. All right, here we go. And get some more donations, uh, and particularly uh, from people who uh, might want to pass this extraordinary compendium of history, 3,600 hours, uh, in a three small jump drives, the Voices That Changed the World, the Encyclopedia of Sound. You can pass it on to a school teacher you know, to an educator you know, to a librarian you know. And uh, this is an instant uh, treasure, and uh, you could uh, literally think about 3,600 hours worth of, of original uh, recordings from some of the, the iconic people that Alan has been rattling off some of the names, uh, and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Rosa mm-hmm. Parks, Alan Watts, Bob Dylan, uh, George Carlin, Howard Zinn, Edward Said, Arundhati Roy. Benny Lou Hamer, Maya Angelou, Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, and it goes on and I, on. I got and a on. few for you here. What? First, uh, let me tackle this one. Toni Morrison, author, um, Nobel Prize winning author, the previous American, United States of American, that is, mm-hmm. uh, who won the Nobel Prize in Literature before Bob Dylan, was uh, interviewed in 1981 on her book Tar Baby. And for those people who haven't uh, read certainly the first five or six uh, novels of Toni Morrison. If you haven't read those in your life, you're in for a treat. They are absolutely spectacular literature. And then Gore Vidal interviewed in 1982 by Tony Kevin. So you were friends with Gore Vidal. Yeah, we did uh, the uh, campaign together. Uh, I think it was the 2004 election. Right, yeah, I remember that. Uh, we went to all these house parties here in L.A. And uh, I was kind of like the straight man. And, uh, <laughs> and his only requirement wasn't, a nice, good tumbler full of good scotch. <laughs> and, he and then just, the wit would flow. And he just was amazing, absolutely amazing guy. Here's, um, here's a, an, okay, listen, we have two minutes to go. The uh, news is coming on in just a few minutes. Please get to the phones in the name of Gore Vidal, Christopher Hitchens, uh, Christopher, Tony Morrison, Tony Morrison uh, Chris Hedges, Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa Eduardo mm-hmm. Galliano, Cesar Chavez, all of these new uh, voices that we digitized in the last year, please help us Daniel be Ellsberg. strong enough to do another year where we can grab another thousand recordings out of the archives. 800-735-0230. In the waning minutes, we have a full phone room waiting for your calls. Please get to the phone if you've been listening to the broadcast all day and thinking, uh, I'll, I'll donate later. Don't make it later. Let's do it now. Uh, Eight hundred seven three five zero two three zero. Your uh, donations are have not been more appreciated than they are today. We only do this one day, Ian and Alan, a year, and we're doing it for less than a day. We end in just about three hours. So, please, we have a ways to go. We have twenty thousand yes yet to raise to reach our goal, and we need to do well in the f- closing minutes right here. One eight hundred seven three five zero two three zero. Alan, can we get five people to call in the final minute? I, and I, you know, again, this isn't organized in a way where the top line, top top most uh, famous names are at the top. But it is so phenomenal. I just scratched the surface. I only got seven pages in as I was going. It is an unbelievable uh, new collection from the Pacifica Radio Archives. It is one of three USB memory sticks now adding up to thirty six hundred hours of absolutely priceless material from the Pacifica Radio Archives. Remember, if you've pledged on an archives fundraiser before, the third volume has never been introduced before. You'll be getting that new. And if you've done that and you're going to get maybe volume one for the second time, what a gift it will be for the holidays to someone you love, because that is the one that has the complete Martin Luther King speeches, the Malcolm X speeches. 800-735-0230, 800 
1-800-273-8330 is the number to call a $250 pledge for all three memory sticks, 3,600 hours of, I, I don't have a, I do have a calculator actually on my phone. I can figure out what that is divided by 24 because that's how many days of content are right. on these uh, thumb drives. Well, again, this is the Pacifica Ready Archives that we're supporting uh, upstairs here in the building here in North Hollywood, KPFK's uh, flagship uh, building. Um, and uh, they are an extraordinary organization. They have absolutely vaults full of old recordings, um, quarter-inch tape, which are decomposing. They have to be digitized. As they do so, more and more treasures emerge, and they put them on these very small thumb drives, which they're offering up here, three of them, 3,600 hours of extraordinary material. So you are contributing to the preservation of history, the preservation of alternative history, of hidden history, of history that was considered subversive but now is becoming mainstream. Okay, well, thank you, Ian. We have to wrap up here because the news, national news, is about to go on 800 It's 150 days of material. Here we go. You are listening to the Pacifica Radio Archives, voices that change the world. National Broadcast Fun Drive, heard on all five Pacifica stations. KPFA 94.1 FM, Berkeley. KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. 98.7 FM, Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM, North San Diego. 99.5 FM, Ridgecrest. KPFT. 90.1 FM Houston, Texas, WBAI 99.5 FM New York City, WPFW 89.3 FM Washington, D.C. Please call 1-800-735-0230 to pledge your support for this endangered American treasure or go online at 